namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Buddham Dhammam Sangam Namasami I'd like to welcome everyone. This is our first public event since the first public event. Two years ago, this temple was about the size of this piece of paper. It was flat. It had no dimension, no form, just a few lines scribbled. And those lines kept changing. Just ideas. Doesn't everything start with an idea? I don't think we ever realized what we were getting into. I mean, this is true for all of us. Even when we're born, we don't realize what we're getting into. And maybe that's why most of us start out with a scream, first cry. But looking at that diagram, the very first diagrams, then giving them to Crawford and he put them in his computer and out popped something that had colors, two dimension. It started to take shape and then we kept crafting it and cutting off bits and adding other bits and the size changed, the concept changed and it grew and grew and eventually it went to an architect and then it started to have more technical bits added and and then it went to the builder's hands and it started to be a hole in the ground and concrete forms and bits of wood rising up. Never even mentioned the barns that had to come down before we started. And now here it is. It's three-dimensional. And we're not just down in the house looking out the window trying to see these pieces of building rising up in the ground or noticing workers coming and going and making noises and peeking from afar. Now we're on the other side, we're inside. And how different it is to be inside, sitting inside. How many times we thought things about this building that was taking shape. And now we open a door and we come inside and we look outside. We see the windows that we used to look inside through trying to imagine people in there. Now we're
for the people in there. These are just the steps of creating buildings or constructing something. Then there's the care and maintenance and the proper use of this building. Already lots of insects have moved in besides the humans. So many creatures have either hopped by, crawled by, walked by, tried to get in, gotten in, gotten out. It's uh, already in use by many beings, not just the humans. And we have to care for it. We have to sweep the floors and wash the windows and manage the, the mechanics, make sure the pipes don't freeze in the winter, keep the systems going, make sure the tanks are full of propane and the bulbs work and the fan works and the, everything, all that. So it's a constant maintenance. What is the purpose of this building? It's very similar to what we're doing on the inside of our own hearts. We're truly building a sacred space. And we can sit down and meditate of an afternoon in a nice meditation space. But the care of that space that we're trying to develop within us doesn't happen just by the occasional afternoon when we sit down or even daily practice. It doesn't just come by itself. We have to watch out for all the things that get into that space. Just like here, we have screens on the windows and we have glass in the window panes. And otherwise, all the elements and all the insects would move right in here and we wouldn't be able to use this space properly. And so it is with our inner temple. To really keep it sacred, to keep it clean, to care for it, we have to make a sweep daily. We have to look in there. Stop to look in, to notice not just to look in the way we used to look in from far away, but to look in means sit within that space. Feel it, know it, get to know it. Stop inside, stopping inside our inner temple and clearing out the cobwebs, clearing out the ancient collected mounds of rubbish and dust and hurt and obsession, distractedness, critical thoughts, unhappinesses, all the things that we've allowed to pile in, to pile up. We really have to care for them every day. And to do that, just like we have a special broom for this room. It's got a very wide uh, mop head and it covers a, a large distance. So you can go up and down this meditation hall with this wide thing and clear out a lot of dust in one fell swoop. Then you wash out the mop head and you can reuse it. And the Buddha has given us 
tools that are very appropriate for what we have to do to clear out the heart and to create a huge space in there, a clean, clear, empty space in which we can properly take up our rightful space and be present, be clear, be confident, and develop the Noble Eightfold Path. That's the purpose of this practice. It's not just to relax ourselves, feel happy for an hour, an afternoon, uh, relieve our stress, but it's to reclaim our true space and incorporate fully in, in the vehicle that we've been given, these bodies, to inhabit them fully, to bring the Dhamma within, not just by giving lip service to certain principles and believe that we are practitioners, but to actually practice means taking care of the sacred space within us. So even if we keep precepts, and to what extent do we keep precepts? We must really consider that. And even if we are kind and good people, and we do no harm on the outside, we must also consider what kind of harm there is within by allowing unwanted things to invade that space and take it up. Take it up. Very often in community life, we're experiencing things quite intensely. And in daily life, you would experience these things too. But the difference is that here, it's harder for us to get distracted. We can't just waltz out the gate and go visit our buddies and have a good time and then come back. Oh yeah, be back in the monastery, back in the old routine. Uh, It's a, a very relentless intensity that has the effect of heating up the heart, putting the pressure on. And it summons us to practice in a way that perhaps would happen over a lifetime for most people, because by the time we get old, that pressure comes of itself. But when life is going along, happy-go-lucky, no, no apparent dukkha rising, it's very difficult for us to remember the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Faculties, the Four Bases of Success, and the Four Right Efforts, or even the Five Precepts sometimes. But when we really are in a sacred space or that which is dedicated to to being a sanctuary, we constantly run up against our weak points. And they're not beautiful to look at. But when we have the opportunity to see them, this is a wonderful thing. 
it's wonderful in the sense that it's just like when we come into the temple here and we see something that's dusty. We get out a cloth and we wipe it. Or we get out the broom and we sweep. Or we make order. This is what we love to do, is to keep the place so that we can use it well. And so it is when we have an opportunity to see a weakness or to hear ourselves lose our temper or, or have an attitude or a strong opinion about something. And when other people react to us, we're sometimes left wondering, well, how did that happen? And blaming conditions on the outside. But the blaming mind is, um, is not such a skillful place to go. It takes us well away from our center. And it doesn't show us the, the second noble. It's not leading us back to the second noble truth. What's the real origin of this unpleasantness? Where does it begin? And if we're really noticing, if we're really practicing well, then the origin of that dukkha is coming from something within us that hasn't been noticed, that hasn't been resolved, that needs to be cleared, needs to be tended to. So naming the hindrances is very useful rather than naming somebody else's hindrances. That's easy. Oh, look at so-and-so. She's not very nice, is she? Oh, um, he's in a bad mood. But where is that mood? And what is it about that mood that's a problem for us? If we can reflect back to where our own center is and be there with it, be centered, be inside our own heart and feel, taste, experience the conditions of that. Then we can properly be present. We can name the anger or the negativity, the hostility that we're feeling and immediately nurture the skillful feeling to counter that, to stop it in its tracks. Just like now we want a pleasant breeze within the temple. And we need to open the windows or get the fan going. And so it is when we want other people to give us respect, we have to be respectful ourselves. We have to be able to bring up the qualities of goodness from within us, not demand them from the outside world. Caring for the sanctuary means caring for the heart, our own heart. And if each of us takes care of our own heart well, then other people will come towards us in a different way. We will certainly be able to receive them with uh, greater spaciousness, with greater kindness, with more tolerance and acceptance. Think about the situation in South Africa right now. Nelson Mandela is 
in a very critical state. And what an amazing man to have come out of prison, 25 years of prison, unjustly imprisoned and mistreated, and then to stand up for his country and forgive those who perpetrated that injustice for so many years. Instead of looking for revenge, instead of blaming and casting the whites into the role of the antagonist or vilifying them, just reaching out with forgiveness to create a country where there could be a greater sense of brotherhood and acceptance and understanding. What a courageous legacy this man has made. So it's nice to reflect on people who do have the courage to bring out in the face of terrible things that have happened, bring out some deep inner strength that comes from a tremendous virtue and vision. And each of us can do that. We, we might not be presidents of a country, but we preside over the domain of our hearts. And if we're able to use this teaching to preside well, then we need not have any enemies. And if we think that we have enemies on the outside, we can, little by little, using the qualities of forgiveness and loving kindness, develop a heart that can bring up tolerance and forgiveness and realize that no one is really an enemy. Everyone is governed or is subject to these, the, the karmic law of cause and effect and to the birth, old age, sickness and death. These laws of the human realm and the suffering and non-suffering of this human realm and the Four Noble Truths of this human birth, of this path that we have the opportunity to travel. All of us are subject to that, if we can reflect on it. So realizing that, we can forgive the external enemies. We, we need not move in with them, keep the company of the wise. But the other half of that project is to forgive the internal enemies and to work with them in a way that supports those qualities of forgiveness and understanding, that supports the understanding of suffering. Like suffering is really not pleasant. Suffering is either painful or hot or burning physical sensations or agitated states of mind, incoherence, disabilities. There's so many forms of suffering a man was diagnosed somewhere in Canada with leprosy. And he was so shocked because he had leprosy. This is an illness that supposedly has been eradicated in Western countries. There's so many forms of disease of the body. And there's so many forms of 
mental illness as well. And each of us probably knows one form or another very well. But we can not just cope, but strategically work well with the sufferings that come up for us inside the heart and put them to rest. Once we know the true origin of those sufferings and once we put to use the tools that the Buddha gave us. And the tools have to be applied when the suffering arises, not just to be held as an idea, like when we lose our temper or feel frustrated by a situation, is to, instead of going to our old haunts, instead of leaving the dust pile for someone else to clean up, is to clean it up ourselves and say, wow, suffering coming up in me here, in this little heart. What do I do? Huh. No, this is anger. No, this is greedy mind, selfish mind, impatience. Then bring up the qualities of mind that are precious to us, the qualities of mind that we respect. Because if we can't do that for ourselves, it's going to be very difficult for us to do it for anyone else in a genuine way. We could pretend, but to be genuinely respectful, it's it's slowly, I guess, we have to wing it until we can really do it. And that's one way of getting down to the real sense of respect and loving kindness, is we try it out. When you go shopping, you try many kinds of clothes on until you find the one that fits. But what all of us long for is love and respect. And if we develop it from within, we'll find that that really fits. It fits much better than the suffering mind states. That's when we bring up what's most sacred in this life. That's what we nourish ourselves with from the inside. We can never satisfy the hunger that we have for other people to like us or be nice to us or respect us. We'll never satisfy it by being around people that act in the way that we want all the time because that doesn't happen. Invariably, someone is going to shout or lose their temper or be short, impatient, uh, unloving, inattentive to us. But if we from within develop enough well-being, confidence and faith in the path, then we can truly meet the world day by day, moment to moment, no matter what the conditions are. Now we find that we can fit ourselves into that skillfully. And this is by following the Buddha's footprint and fitting our feet into that. It's a huge footprint and it's wide. It has a tremendous birth. It can help us navigate the most awful straits of life and still revert to refuge in what is noble instead of what is unsightly or ignoble, not worthy of 
praise, not worthy of our effort, of our energy, of our attention. So even if we didn't have a nice place to sit and meditate or the conditions aren't perfect, the conditions without external conditions never going to be perfect. But they're good enough. At this point, I suppose I will end up saying that 80% is not good enough. But we're striving here for something higher than 80% in this particular way and not allowing the suffering mind to beat us down again and again. We were taught, each of us, as we were after the toddler years, the young years, we were taught by parents, by peers, by teachers, by friends, by colleagues, classmates, whoever. We were taught sometimes to recoil from life and sometimes to be wound up and fearful. We were often put into situations where we were beaten down or disapproved of or disliked or divorced, abandoned, rejected, something. Everyone's had something that they've gone through that wasn't nice. And then the the response to that is, well, I'm never going to go through that again. I'm never going to let that happen again. And this creates a certain defensiveness. Not to mention all the unskillful messages that we picked up from watching TV or surfing the Internet or uh, being friends with people that weren't very good friends or very advanced spiritually. We picked up things, messages, and inculcated them deep in our psyche. And so many of our behaviors towards ourselves even can come from that storehouse of things not restrained, not serving that which is highest in us. To clear out that storehouse of stuff is a huge effort and takes a lot of patience. But what else is there for us to do but that? We want to free our hearts from that. Really to sit down here, if we had piles of stuff in here and old clocks and broken radios and clothes we don't use anymore stuffed in the corner, who would come to practice in this hall? Nobody would come. Be all smelly and crowded, cramped. We wouldn't want to come here and sit together. We'd go to a place where it's clean and empty and beautiful. It's good for each of us to contemplate. I think about my own heart. What is the space in there like when I'm agitated, when I'm not in a good mood, so to speak? When something has upset my equanimity, what, what is it like? What's the turbulence all about? 
What's the bad weather due to? What's causing it? And then to really rummage around and look very closely and carefully and evict the hindrances as soon as I can spot them and name them well. Well, there it is. As self-critical mind or a fearful mind or the greedy mind or the blaming mind, the whining, looking at other people and calling them by some name. But what about what's in here? That's where it really starts from. And if I plant good seeds and clean the space nicely and water it well, then those seeds will grow. They will flower. And other people will take the fragrance of that. They will smell it. They'll, hey, this is a a nice person to get to know. Who is this person? But if I go around grumpy and irritated, nobody will want to talk to me. So just by trial and error, one can figure this out. (laughs) To own our suffering and take responsibility for it and to see the triggers that we have been trained for eons, if not a long lifetime, are very much at the bottom of it all. We think it's the present situation, but usually it goes much deeper than that. It's not because mom said this or our kid said that, but it's because of something that we've been holding that is taking up the precious space and it needs to be disbanded and cleared out, shooed out, Goodbye, once and for all. Day by day we do this. And day by day we practice the other two noble truths. Bringing up the causes and conditions for freedom is bringing up the non-suffering, the non-greed, the non-hatred, the non-confusion. Bringing it up, sustaining it, growing it nurturing it, attending to it. And that's developing the Eightfold Noble Path. So there we have the Four Noble Truths. They are the beams and the foundation, the pillars, the roof, the windows, all the ingredients of this building. That's what our inner sacred space is made up of. to develop it over our lifetime, it's a very constant, unrelenting work. Not to be neglected just because we're at work, at quote-unquote official work, or that we're retired, or that we're driving in traffic. If we are really mindful wherever we are and focused, trusting in the things that we truly can trust, in wisdom, in the virtuous mind, the virtuous heart, the moral quality of our being can be developed wherever we are. The purification of our mind can be developed 
wherever we are. And when, whatever the state of our mind is, we can always come back to that purity and grow it even more. As long as we remember not to settle for less. So I offer you that for your reflection today.